Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. It certainly reshaped even how my ambitiousness expresses itself. And there's some ways that, you know, I've had to a few times be like, I don't know how to be me with these limitations because I'm like such a big dreamer and I'm ambitious. I cannot count on having whatever energy I have for that amount of time. And I feel like right now the Lord is teaching me to be more and more content with what I can do in this moment and then seeing what's next and being okay with that. This is Where You're From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. Welcome to Where You're From. I'm Russell Berry. Have you ever felt like the expectations of people around you were too much? Maybe you felt like you were failing people by doing just what you wanted to do. Or maybe people continued to offer advice when they didn't understand the path you were taking. For Reach Records artist Trip Lee, internalizing the expectations of his family was a part of his childhood. But as early as high school, Trip was breaking the mold to pursue rapping. Trip Lee is a husband, father, rapper, author, and preacher who navigates his many roles with grace and trust in the Lord. Join me as I ask Trip Lee, where are you from? Well, I'm here with somebody who I've gotten a chance to know over a decade now, closing on 15 years. And so I'm glad to have him here. And Trip Lee, where are you from? So I grew up in a suburb south of Dallas, so in DeSoto, and that's where I currently live. I made some stops on the way. Okay. So Trip. Yeah. That's an interesting name. Well, yeah. Get a sense that's not what your mama named you. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm named after my grandfather and my father. So I'm William Lee Barefield III. So Trip comes from me being a third. My middle name is Lee. That's powerful because yeah. that, that speaks to lineage and That's connection. Right. Yeah. So paint us a picture of what that was like growing up. So yeah, both parents in the home. Yep. Both my parents, super hard work. And my dad grew up in the hood in Houston. His dad, my grandfather, was one of the first black men to work in the particular factories that he worked in mm-hmm. in Houston. Worked really hard to be able to be in those positions. One of the first black dudes that let operate that stuff. Yeah. And this is stuff that like when I'm a kid, I don't know this stuff, right? His dad, five sisters, his mom dies when he's about 15. So my mm-hmm. grandfather then is, you know, working all the time providing for six kids. My dad is able to help raise his sisters and mm-hmm. And so my dad works really hard, first person in his family to go to college, and he's a civil rights protesting kind of at the same time, but he kind of works his way through and super hard worker, which was a big 
part of the worldview he passed on to mm-hmm. me. So, yeah, and my mom, very similarly, my, her dad was in the military. He was uh, one of the first really high-ranking black men in the military. Wow. So they grew up in a military family, all the while traveling all around the country, lived in a ton of different places, mm-hmm. which was interesting during that time because they never stayed at the hotel because they're black family, mm-hmm. even though he's this high-ranking military official, and they— Go in some places. My mom, you know, went to some school like the year after it was integrated, which mm-hmm. is like my mom's not that old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's reminders this stuff isn't as far off as they seem. But my mom also, you know, goes to HBCU and she ends up being a dentist. My mom's a pediatric dentist, had wow. a business. Again, stuff I didn't appreciate as a kid. Like yeah. she's had this good, successful business serving the community for 30 years. And so, yeah, very hardworking parents which they really tried to instill in us. We didn't always enjoy that. <laughs> me and my sister, I have a sister that's two and a half years older than me. Okay. Now, you said that with a gleam in your eye, and I hear that you do have some funny stories about you and your dad, and, and you even talk about that a little bit in your book. Yeah. Paint us a picture of some of what that looked like. Yeah, my dad, because of how his world was shaped, the kind of hard work he had to do to make it to where he was. I mean, he really wanted to instill in me from the beginning of my life. Like, for real, I don't care what you do, but you need to strive to be the best at it, right? And I think even a kind of perfectionism that is hard to even shake for me even now, you know, there's a right way to do things that led to right results, you know what I'm saying? That is very much ingrained in me and how I see the world. Grew up in a world where even more so than today, black people, black men are viewed in a particular way. And so a very hard emphasis on how you present yourself to the world and, and what that has to do with how you live your life. Even to sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm a kid, I want to be cool. I'm like, Dad, I want to wear this baby blue do-rag to school. It goes with my polo. You know what I'm saying? He's like, mm-mm, not doing that. You know, or, you know, came home and had my polo off and just had my tank top. He's like, nope, I'm going to do that. Like, we got to think about how we present ourselves to the world. We got to work twice as hard to get half the credit. So we got to think about how we present right. ourselves. Right, and it sounds like for them, it was a matter of survival. That's right. So, whereas for me right now, I might be like, look, I'm not going to, like, try to be somebody else. Now, that's obviously within reason. You understand, if something happens to my flight and I walk up to the counter, I'm taking my hat off and I'm just like, ma'am, I happen to have an issue. You know what I'm saying? But for my parents, they didn't have the luxury of wondering how much they need to think about how to present themselves right. that we do. Yeah. In part because their generation yeah. thought that we wouldn't have to. You right. know what I'm saying? So there can often be ways that we can be young, naive, overzealous, and yeah. criticize other generations, yeah. not realizing we have the luxury of living in a different world <laughs> Man, because of the way they move. That's a good word. And it, one of the things that always messes me up when I see like old movies, civil rights era, is that story of the army veteran yeah. Yeah. coming home from literally putting right. his life on the line. That's right in war in Germany or something and then coming back to the States and having to sit on the back of a bus and having to be called boy and ha- right. like it's such a contrast right because it's like yo I was just fighting to liberate other people that's right and now I'm being treated and and that always messes with me when I see it on the screen but yeah. you heard it in your house yeah that's right yeah. yeah again it is one of those things that you don't fully grasp right. and realize until you 
are older and you're really being like, hey, I remember when we talked about this. You know, my grandfather died when I was pretty young. One of my strongest memories was at his funeral because I'm a little kid and I'm like, oh, they're doing this particular flag thing. And, oh, they're firing off guns. It was very scary. I'm a kid. I'm like, what's going on? And I don't understand the significance of it as a kid. But, of course, being older, yeah, here's what his rank in the military was. Here's the barriers he had to break down. And, you know, for somebody my age, for my parents to have been successful at things, people in my generation whose parents were successful, there's going to be some, I was the first person to do this. I was right. first person. My mom was the only black woman in her dental program. Wow. Held it down. You know, it's going to be a lot of those things yeah. that, you know, fully appreciate right. as a kid. So I'm starting to see a picture painted already yeah. of a, a certain interesting tension that you're describing yeah. because you come from this legacy. They have discipline, military, hard work, yeah. barrier breakers. Yeah. But you're growing up and you want to emulate the culture you see around you, yeah. which is in a lot of ways kind of counterculture to that stuff. And I'd imagine you get to school and the things that they weren't allowing you to do, you were seeing something different. Yeah, I mean, so I went to a private school for most of my schooling. Second grade till I graduated high school, I was at this particular college prep school. I was cool when I was a little kid. Hated once I got a little bit older because it just wasn't a cool place to be. wasn't a lot of black kids. I'm like, I don't really want to be here. But I had my little crew, ended up staying, and it was cool. But from being a very young kid, it wasn't like the stuff they were saying, even though a lot of it didn't sink in. It wasn't like it wasn't ringing true in my experiences at the I same see. time. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm in third grade, okay. you know, like, there's like three black boys in my grade at that time, maybe four. And this teacher was like, hey, uh, Andre, uh, Jeffrey, uh, whoever you are, right? Named all the other black kids in the class except me and then went with the whoever you are. Wow. So for me, as a third grader, I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad is telling me right, when right. he sits me down at the table and lectures me about things, this is what life is actually like. Mm. So while there are some things that's like my dad's been like overly disciplined, like no one really thinking about that, mm. I'm not going to be a thug, but— at the right. same time, you know, I remember times my dad just okay. coming home, like, I was just at the store, and this kid, his pants hanging all down, and it bothers him. And I'm like, why is that? Just let him go about his life. But <laughs> my dad is just thinking, we worked so hard mm. to get an amount of respect from our culture that we want your generation to appreciate yeah. and to see the privileges afforded by it. So there was a lot of that back and forth. Right. My first car was like, oh, I want to. I'm trying to get Cadillac. My dad's like, no, you're about to get this Nissan. <laughs> like, you're going to get pulled over. Why would you be driving that? You know, that's going to, the stuff that you think is cool about it that looks right. a different way to other people. Yeah. So I, I'm seeing that pool, right? So, like, by the time you get to, like, middle school, yeah. which side is tugging your ear more? So I think the stuff I'm gravitating towards, the stuff I think is cool, me and my friends think are cool. I've always loved music. I got that from my dad, who's just always playing music in the crib all the time. He wasn't a musician, but, you know, just always Stevie Wonder, Sly and Family Stone, Earth, Wind & Fire. Mm. He put me on a good music, stuff. Music, music. That's right. <laughs> He's like, no, no, come here, sit down, sit down, and playing records and tapes and stuff. And he also prided himself on being like, I know what y'all listening to, too. But, mm. So, I, you know, I fall in love with hip-hop. Around that time, I'm gravitating towards hip-hop culture, and so yeah. I'm like, if we go to Dillard's, Dad, I want this FUBU thing. And my dad is just always feeling the, like, I see those music videos and I don't want you to be that. Mm. I see that you've cut out pictures of Tupac and Big and put them on your wall and the rappers and all these dudes. And when I see that, that's not who I want you to be. I don't mm. want you to 
gravitate towards things associated with stuff that my generation is trying to get us away from. Uh-huh. You know? So you're experiencing that intergenerational battle like right there with your dad. That's right. And, you know, with hip hop, again, didn't understand at the time. But there was so much where he was like, you can like stuff, but just very hesitant yeah. because as much as we can be excited about hip hop, you know, there's so much content wise it is foolishness. You know, I haven't watched videos in a while. And I mean, my wife is just like, let's just see what's going on. And sometimes I can like step out and objectively be like, what do dudes be talking about? Like, mm-hmm. I cannot believe. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, what chance do kids have? Mm-hmm. It's like, this shapes our value system. Something I didn't really understand at the time, but like, even if I'm not going to listen to something and then try to go be a gangster, I am learning things about what I value. Like, I am learning things about how I think about women, how I think about what's cool, how I think about what status looks like. And so as I'm being drawn to that, my dad is kind of pushing back against that. So let me advocate for Young Trip at yeah, the time for yeah, a minute, right? Yeah. What was it about it that was attractive to you as someone who knew what good music sounded like? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't even know if I can pin it down. You know, when you're a kid and everything you like, you think, maybe I could do that. Space mm-hmm. is cool. Maybe I could be an astronaut. But also, same thing with music. It's like, I'm going to be a musician and, you know, trying to play with stuff. There was something about Rapping that I was like I don't know It drew me in a little mm. bit more Okay let's go more specific Who in particular When did you fall in love With hip hop Yeah The first Rapper I can remember Hearing and loving Was L.O. Cool J mm. I don't even remember What it was Also when you're a kid There's a limit To your taste levels Right Right It's like when people put you on the good stuff, you like that. Somebody put you on stuff that's not that good, and you right. just like what yeah. you hear. You don't know anything. I'm saying this with my kids, and I'm trying to steer them and <laughs> give them good musical taste. But I think first hip-hop album I had was probably Coolio Gangsta's Paradise. Mm. And I'm getting that, and I'm in, like, third grade, I think. So when does the spiritual journey yeah. kind of start in the midst of this kind of cultural tug-of-war that's happening? Yeah, when I am about 14 years old. So when I was a real little kid, my family— would go to church. I can't remember how often we did because it wasn't every single week. I only know that because when we would go, I wouldn't like know all the songs and hand motions all the kids did to that degree. But I know we went enough that I remember being there and heard stuff about Jesus and all of that. When I was about 13, 14, my sister had started to go to the like youth church thing already. And I would decide I was going to go to a summer retreat. I, I was just trying to like socialize and talk to girls. And that's what I did in the whole retreat to the point where... The youth pastor like gave me some book about relationships. After it was like, hey, maybe you need to chill. Uh, <laughs> you were shooting your shot. Yeah, oh, you were, I, yeah, I had assumed place. I was a Christian already. I had prayed right. a prayer after the children's pastor when I was a little kid. I don't think I was a Christian. Didn't understand the gospel. Loved my sin. Didn't I love Jesus? When I start going to the youth group, I think some of that stuff starts to click. My youth pastor, who I still have a good relationship with right now, was fun, was hilarious, also opened the Bible and preached the gospel. He was preaching expository sermons to youth group kids, not in a way we couldn't understand. But the first preaching I'm exposed to is biblical. It is expositional preaching. I would ask him all kinds of questions. And as soon as I started reading the Bible, my life changed. Okay. But this is one of the things about preaching the gospel is— like, you don't know where people are at. You don't know where the Lord has their heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't get to control all of that stuff. Right. We don't get to save any souls. We don't get to have someone's heart in the right place. Right. We get to proclaim. We get to love as much as we can tell, try to give people what they need. But the Lord knows, and he knew. Mm-hmm. And my youth pastor being faithful was preaching the gospel. And I think the closest thing to me to a moment is we had gone to this event and— 
there was like an altar call. They were saying something about surrendering. I was like, I'm not sure I've done that. And I'm not sure I'm a great Lord of my life. I'm not sure I'm doing a great job here. That for me was one of the clearest moments of a very intentional in my heart. You know what? I think I'm going to like let go of trying to be Lord of my own life and the stuff that mm. I don't think the Lord likes. I think I'm going to like try to give that to him mm. and like actively try to go in the other direction. Wow. And that was at 14. Yeah. This was around the same time I was starting to not do very good at school okay. because I could not connect it with anything I cared about or that I valued. But at the same time, my curiosity about who God is, is like going in full bloom. And I'm starting to like read the Bible every day. And then I'm like, that's my youth pastor. Like, it was a good book I can read. Like, it wasn't until I started reading Christian books that I started to read books. You know, there's a lot about who I am that seems very obviously just who I am. Like, I'm just like a learner. You know, I'm super curious about everything. I want to understand things deeply. And then I can't understand things without being like, hey, look at this. That's just kind of how I'm built. But that, you know, hadn't bloomed in me right. yet until then. So how does this period connect with this whole aspect that's happening in Denton and yeah. you know, Lecrae and, and all yeah. these folks? So I, I began to grow and then I continue to be like one of the youth leaders, but I'm actually like leading. Still at ways in my life is a mess, but I'm growing a lot, understanding scripture a lot, passionate. And I'm rapping in my church some. Yeah, I was like on the praise team, but I can't sing, so I was just like lip syncing, and then it'd be like a breakdown, and I would rap, and it was bad. But they were giving me opportunities. Mm. I was having a good time. Yeah, and and I mean, just to pause for a second, that's a pretty significant thing to be happening late '90s, early 2000s, like the sense of like a church saying, "Hey, you want to rap?" That's not a lot of people's testimony. That's right. So that says that folks were really into investing in the youth. And my youth pastor was very intentional about trying to at least understand the worlds we were living in yeah. and try to allow us to not have to enter an entirely different world right. when we were together at church. Now, how did your dad feel about this whole spiritual awakening? And then on top of that, now it's bringing you very back to the thing that he was trying to have you avoid. Um, so he's not as worried about it as he was about me just liking gangster stuff. But so now he's more like practical, you know, like, I'm trying to think practically how to help my son be success in the world. Right. And giving all of his time to writing raps in his room is probably not that. And I can't imagine responding differently. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what if you're just a writer? What if you're a great writer? What if you just give time to writing? What about music business? He's trying to think about how can I help my son put himself in a position to provide for himself, provide for his family. Mm -hmm. So there was still some pushback, but it was different. But then you would do your rap part. And so how does that turn into something more? So I like made this whole mixtape. My room I had this computer and like my mom bought me this little mic. And I was like making some beats. I had a friend who made beats. I was very... Um, driven. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Right. What if we do this? I'm going to figure out this software. What if I tried this? There was very much of a, I have no idea how, but I'm, I'm about to figure this out because and, and, it means a lot to me. And people don't realize at that time period how isolated you felt if you were trying to combine faith in Christ with music. At that time, who did you know were peers and contemporaries that you were even inspired by to lean on? Or was there any? So my youth pastor told me about cross movement. Okay. And so... At that time, I really liked Cross Movement. Ambassador was my favorite rapper. Yep. He's a good friend. 
And so a lot of that changed my life, and him especially. And he knows, he just turned 50, and I told him, you know, like, I cannot overstate the impact you had on my life. So he was at Dallas Theological Seminary at the yep. time. So he would come do stuff sometimes at, you know, events or something that I would see. And I remember being at some event outside, he's on stage with an Iverson jersey on and like some long shorts and some Tims. His hair was long at the time. His braids was out, so he was like huge fro. Also, not only does he know the Bible, but he's very cool. And everything he says sounds even better because he's saying it. And so I'm like, wow. You know, like I can still be who I want to be and love yeah, Jesus. Okay. And so it's not only like we love Jesus, it's also like here's a lot of truth we're putting in these bars. And it has such an impact on me, the way my mind is working. I'm like, I want to do that for other people too. When we come back, Tripoli will share how getting married and becoming a father had unexpected hardship due to being exhausted from more than just daily life. That's coming up next on Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. Hey there, my name is Jade Gustafson, and I'm one of the producers for Where You From. Before we jump back into our conversation with Trip Lee, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with well-known singer Molly Music. This is Where You From. I'm taking off through the like the bushes and I'm hearing the highway, so I cross over the banister and now I'm walking on the highway against traffic. And I'm just like fumbling, I'm hoping someone just field goals me. And a car drives by, Courtney Palmer? It's one of the football moms that recognizes me, takes me in. My parents hear that I'm there and they retrieve me. And my dad treated me different every day since. He said, anything my son will fight me for, I support. Welcome back to Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry. And in just a moment, we'll get back into our conversation with Trip Lee. But before we do, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. They not only contain the talking points for today's show, but some links to learn more about Trip Lee and his label, Reach Records. Also, don't forget to check out our other conversations with artists from Reach Records on Where You're From. You can find these links in the show notes or by visiting whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from.org. Now let's get back into our conversation with Trip Lee on where you're from. So you decide to put on this project yeah. on your own. 
Yeah, it's called the Messiah's Mixtape, right? I get a kid in my school named Aaron who could draw. He drew some little album cover for me. I, like, burnt all the CDs in my house. You know, you put the stickers on them. You know, I was just like, I am going to do this. Uh-huh. When I first got to go to a real studio the first time, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm Diddy. I'm, okay. a, I'm a whole rapper now. <laughs> Around that time, I had went to a Cross Moon concert. Yep. My best friend growing up is Kirk Franklin's son. Kirk Franklin takes us to this concert because he's like, I want y'all to know about this stuff, right? We go backstage, Lecrae, Tadashi, and Shoboraka, they're opening. And I'm like, oh, all the stuff I like is like East Coast. So I didn't even know there was Southern dudes rapping about mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> right. So I get the album. No one knows who they are. This is 04. Real Talk, Lecrae's first album has just come out. And this is no one's a big deal. I took it home, listened to it. I knew somebody who knew him. Right. It was like, hey, can you give me Lecrae's number? I was like, sure. I called him. I was like, hey, I'm doing this mixtape release party in my church. Can you and Tadashi come? He was like, sure. And him and Tadashi came and like opened for me my mixtape release part. So, you know, going back to this album release concert, yeah. right? Like, I'm curious about how you had the boldness to ask Lecrae and Tadashi to be there on two fronts. One, just on the artist tip, like you don't want to get outshined on yeah. your own thing. And, you know, you got these dudes and these some heavy hitters. Yeah. But then two, like... Man, they got a whole album out, and there's this thing that you're doing that's yeah. not on that same kind of yeah. platform yet. So, what gave you that, that courage? Honestly, you know, I think it was a single mindedness that just didn't occur to me. I was like, I love God, and I'm rapping about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They love God, and they're rapping about Jesus, and they're really good. I would love it if they were there. They seemed obviously better than me to mm-hmm. me, but I was just like, I don't know. It would be amazing if they, I would only make it better if mm. they were also there. So it wouldn't even, I think of it in my mind either to be like, oh, but they're so much further than me. It's like, no, we're doing the same thing. We love God. We're rapping about him. And that's exactly how they were thinking too. I mean, who does that? Like, sure, teenager, I'll come right. You know, it's just that like status. Or, that just wasn't what was going through our minds. Sometimes even to the point of like, you should at least be aware other people think about it like that. But for the whole beginning, that's just not, was not in our minds whatsoever. And I think it shaped how we moved. And they came, did it, and we built a relationship from there. He was like, hey, is anybody discipling you? I said, what's that? And then we started building a relationship from there. And at this point, you're by far the youngest person in the group. Yeah, that's right. I'm in high school. Everybody's in college. So I'm about 10 years behind. Okay. And what was that like? It didn't bother me. I think, though I didn't realize at the time, I think I just got kind of old soul. You know, mm-hmm. like I was like thinking more deeply about particular things. So it was some stuff that I don't even, it's not even to like make myself sound cool. It just, I don't know. I would rather be doing yeah. this than that. Like I would rather go spend time with these people who are like influencing my soul than go to their party. It's yeah. just... It seemed more exciting right. to me at the time. It just felt like where my heart was pulling right. me. So I spent a lot of time with them. They were pouring into me, helped me understand how to read the Bible. You know, it was, again, another really foundational season for me, which whenever I tell stories about my journey, there are very common themes about seasons when the Lord sent people into my life who poured into me. And it is why I grew a lot in those seasons mm-hmm. um, that I'm really grateful for. And this is where my introduction to you comes in. With the words, Lord, it's obvious they don't know you, but they need to know you. And I pray that they would meet you through us. Yeah. That's why we out here yeah. <laughs> in these streets. Yeah. And I remember thinking, 
This is the first thing, you know, 116 yeah. compilation, right? Yeah. Who is this person and where did this voice come yeah. from? Yeah. Which was everybody's response. <laughs> so let's just at least open that up because, first of all, like, did you know that your voice was very distinct? No, I didn't. But once we did that and more people was hearing what I was doing than just, you know, my friends and the, yeah. you know, my mom's friends who bought my mixtape. Yeah, people started to say, hey, like, you got a really distinct voice, just the way it sounds. That sounds dope. I was like, oh, thanks. And that was a big moment for me to get to be on that song with Tadashi and to get to be on the compilation. I was 17 years old. Yeah. It felt very much like... I got added to a thing that was already amazing. Over the years, I've learned from people how impactful that was for them. Like, yeah. bro, you was my age, you was a little older than me, and you know, it made me feel like, oh, I can chase after Jesus because it's a dude, my, it's a teenager on here who's, right. you know. When do you realize that it's not just like a feature on a song on this particular group, but that this is, like you said, a season of your life? Yeah. Um, to their credit, the dudes at Reach were more interested in my development as a follower of Jesus than me being a rapper on the label. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were even times like, hey, I'm working on this. Can you hop on this? And Chris like, you know what? Let's just, I'd rather us just like link and talk, you know. And for me, I, that, I was like, oh, cool, you know, because I was also more interested in my development as a believer. But as time went on, I remember it was when I was 17 and uh, Ben Washer said, hey, you know, what would you think about doing an album? And I was thinking, I would love that. You know, if it was like dream come true to me, if it was like I made it, I'm in high school. Like I was in chemistry class today before you called me to say that, you know what <laughs> I'm saying? And so I start that first album while I'm a senior high school, start when I'm 17, I waited to sign the contract till after my birthday, which was in December, so I, you know, could be 18 signing the contract. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finished the album. My senior high school came out like a couple weeks after I graduated. And that felt like a huge thing. I was incredibly excited. Didn't understand what it was going to turn into at all. But, yeah, it was a really exciting season. And the album was? If They Only Knew. If They Only Knew. Yeah. Came out the gate strong. Were you surprised with the reaction and the response that the album had? Yeah. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember mm. what we thought was going to happen. Right. <laughs> it's not this. This is not what I thought. Yeah. I think I was very much not a practical person at the time either. Mm. So I'm not even sure what I thought it was going to turn into. Right. I don't think I thought this was going to be my job and I was right. going to travel the world and so I'm going to provide for my wife and three kids. That didn't enter my mind at all. Right. I was just like, I love Jesus. Right. I love hip hop. I get to do both of those. Right. So let's go. That yeah. was kind of it. So, you know, especially with the 116 documentary coming out, yeah. we've been kind of in this reflective mode. So, you know, I yeah. talked to Lecrae earlier and yeah. kind of was like, OK, so this is kind of a an origin story of the group. And Every person is almost like a character. So show, he said, was the contrarian. Lecrae's, you know, kind of jump into it very, like, let's do it. Let's just action. Yeah. Tadashi, you know, was always questioning things, but called you the sponge. <laughs> you were always just soaking up yeah. information. You know, Cray told me the story of how he, he was telling you about yeah. systematic theology. Yeah. And gave you a book. And then a few days later, you came back and was like, you got something else. Do you remember that? So I think he put me on A Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That was one. And I read it. And I was like, man, I didn't know God was this big. Like, oh, like God is like really big. Hmm. You know, it's like, oh, wait, Jesus is God. But like, he's God. And every time I was just like, 
Man, God is so much more amazing than I even understood. And I'm like, I want to keep understanding more. And I don't think it was just a stack of knowledge thing. That it was not cool to my friends to read J.I. Pack. That's not a cool thing. I was blown away by God. I was like, I, I want to know more. Help me to understand more and what this has to do with stuff, you know. Yeah, and that's something that definitely stuck out to your peers. So that curiosity, you mentioned it earlier. What other areas of your life that you saw that curiosity? So that's when it really bloomed was when I put my faith in Jesus. But it was the same thing with music. Like me and all my friends, we used to rap together in middle school, but there started to like be a shift. I clearly just took to it in a different way. So like we all love Jay-Z. I'm also sitting with the album booklet, studying the bars and trying to understand these double entendres and like, oh, shoot, this is why this happens. And this is, you know, I'm printing out lyrics off the Internet for other stuff I like. And I'm trying to understand how I can also do that. And I'm writing rhymes every single day. It's just kind of how I approached things that meant a lot to me. Mm. And so it was like a season of my life where the only things that mattered to me for good or bad was hip hop and Jesus. That was it. And so I'm like, I'm going full speed into those things. As I got older, even the things that Jesus cares about expanded for me. So the, the way I couldn't figure out why I should care about history class, I was like, I just care about Jesus is because I'm not understanding yet what the sovereignty of Jesus over all things even means or what we learn from things that humans have done and how I look through that through the lens of what Jesus has given me. You know, I didn't understand any of that yet. By the time I graduated high school, it was starting to click like Jesus wants me to care about what I'm doing in school. Like I have to do my work mm. well. I mean, the, my love for reading, I don't think would have happened if I didn't put my trust in Jesus because it gave me a reason to care. And now it sounds weird to talk about that blooming because it just seems like if I'm anything, it's curious and I want to learn stuff. And I feel most at home and comfortable when I am learning and growing and seeing more of what's there in the area. If this is part of how God has made me, what ways has that allowed me to be faithful in the spaces that God has put me into? And what ways am I going to have the capacity to dive deeper than other people? And how can I use that for God's glory? Yeah. So that why question, it looms big. In your book, Rise, yeah. you have a chapter, Age is More Than a Number. Yeah. And in that, you talk about the surprise that people have when they find out about how young you got married. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's part of the expansion. So tell us about how that happened and what that has done in terms of your expansion. Too. Yeah, so I went to Bible college in Philly. I went there because I found out there was such thing as Bible college. And I was like, oh, that's where I'm going to college. I'm going to Bible college because ambassador had gone there, truth had gone there. My wife, Jessica, she was there a year before me. We met through mutual friends. She ended up going to the same church I was at. And so for me at that time, though, I was like, I'm not trying to get in no relationships because I ain't trying to get married. And I ain't trying to just do no relationships for no reason. So I'm chilling. I had, you know, some relationships in high school that was like, I ain't doing that again. But we were drawn to each other. Long story short, I ended up just like talking to my pastors like, hey, you know, I think I may like her. I think maybe I could see her as like someone being my wife, which again is, you know, I'm very young. And so I'm like, but I, I'm probably tripping. So help me out. And Long story short, pastor's like, yeah, I mean, just take it slow. But, like, we also know her well. She's been around, too. That was one of the dope things is we're at the same church plant. You know, I get to see her growing. That was one of the things that even when dudes ask me about finding a wife, I'm like, look for the kind of humble heart 
it grows. And I watched her sit under women who were pouring into her, and I watched her grow, and I watched her love for people, her compassion. And they had also seen it. I was like, yeah, I think maybe just take it slow, but I think you are mature enough to begin to move in that direction. So we dated for about a year and a half. Then I proposed to her in uh, November of 2008, and my dad was getting sick. So we had planned to get married in the fall of 09. We moved it up to May of 09. My dad ended up dying a couple of days before we got married. But we still just went ahead and had our wedding then. And yes, she had graduated the week before. I was still in college. Yeah, she had just turned 22, I was 21. There were other things that made that a kind of tumultuous season, but my Lord was really, really good. You know, wow. it was like the thing that was sweet in the season where there were other hard things going on, like my dad dying and all kind of stuff. So, Yeah, man, that seems incredibly intense yeah. to have those two things happen. Yeah, just a couple of days apart. And was your dad's decline pretty fast? It was. We knew that he was sick, but the decline started to seem a lot quicker than we thought. And so that's when we moved our wedding up. Right. And kind of like replanned the whole another wedding just so he could be there. And, you know, God knows. Wow. But there are ways that the Lord used that to, like, bring us together right. really fast. And even, like, her with my family. Like, I think my family likes her more than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, that's a way to get really close to somebody's family real quick mm-hmm. is to be there in a really tough time, in those last moments. Mm-hmm. She didn't get a lot of time with my dad beforehand. She had come on to visit several times. And, you know, they met. he liked her. And she was like, it's kind of intimidating. And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, enough to be able to have some sweet moments. And So I think at this point, could you see how maybe his trust in you was expanding as he was seeing the trajectory of your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even in some of his final months, there were things about conversations we had where it's like, oh, you know what? I think there are even times when we had conversations with we button heads that I may have even misread how much he listened to even respected my voice as his son you know what I'm saying Uh, that in those like final months and levels of vulnerability and conversations it's like okay we're more on the same page on some things than I had understood and there are more things that I thought he didn't understand that I think he did understand better than I thought have you ever thought that even though he didn't get to see the full expression he could see it coming yeah. Because he could trust you yeah. with what was happening. Absolutely. Where even as there was a like, are you sure you want to be a rapper? Or are you <laughs> sure you want to give? There was also a like, look at what my son has been able to do, though. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a weird. Who's rapping about Jesus and like traveling around the country as a teenager doing it? It's like, what is that? Mm-hmm. You know, so there was a acknowledgement about, oh, OK, and my, my son is doing something special. And mm-hmm. a respect for that and saying that even when we butted heads, there was a way that I went about things where there was a, a mutual mm. respect for. And so there's this incredible talk about season change, yeah, yeah. you know, of your, your dad's passing and then you entering into this new phase yeah. of being a head of household yourself. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about how that aspect of that season has formed to Trip Leas. Yeah. Well, it was the beginning of... Me and my wife's marriage, I was diagnosed with an illness in 2007, chronic fatigue syndrome. So my body would just quit on me every semester. And I would keep being like, no, 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 you know what? I'm going to just take on more credits. And no, no, I'm good. And just finally was like, I at least need to like step back because this is not great use of my time. And it doesn't seem like this is going to be the way I'm going to be trained for pastoral ministry. And just from a standpoint, how 
how long have you been married before this symptoms first start to? No, it started before I got married. So 2007 it was my second year of college. Wow. And we get married in '09. Okay. And I understand it a lot less at that time, and I'm still like trying to be normal, even though I'm obviously not. But doctors don't even understand it that well. So what did you first notice when you're like, something's wrong? It was actually summer after the first tour I ever did. I was on tour with Cross Movement. You're on tour with the people that you were looking up to and being inspired by. It's like, does life get better? That's right. Right. And then I get back to school for my sophomore year, and then I just feel terrible. I'm like sleeping 18 hours a day, and I'm still exhausted the other hours I'm awake. So something's obviously very wrong. And, you know, go to a doctor, they're like, oh, you got Epstein-Barr, you know, take this, she'll be cool, and, you know, mm-hmm. long story short, I'm not. And I go to another doctor, they're like, we'll test you for everything else, think it's chronic fatigue syndrome. It's not really anything you can do, eat good, mm-hmm. do your best. Um, and so that's also hard, as I'm trying to understand it, feeling guilty about not doing well in school. There's teachers who aren't super gracious, mm-hmm. you know, they don't understand them, but... Like, we all get tired sometimes. Would you say that this was, at the time, kind of the apex of your career, musically? Uh, it was at the season when stuff was really starting right, right. To, to ramp, yeah. Was that difficult to have to forego opportunities and things in order to just to try to focus on your health? Yeah. It was hard to process it all because I didn't understand what was happening. Right. And doctors didn't give much understanding of what was happening. Okay. And I'm just kind of out here. I'm like, am I just lazy? Is it, Mm. you know, everything about it was strange, you know. And sometimes I look back and I think it is miraculous that albums were made. I'm not really sure how it happened, honestly. Mm. I wish I could go back and process it with my 30-year-old brain. How did your wife, Jessica, and that season of marriage help you navigate through that? Well, my wife will devote herself to whatever's in front of her as if it is the greatest thing is, I mean, she's the most disciplined, diligent person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. I like to give myself credit for choosing a good wife, but I couldn't have known how great of a wife she would be and how um, how necessary having her as a wife would be to me being able to navigate things at all. So that even when the seasons, when it's like, oh, it feels like everything's burning down around me, it's like the Lord has very graciously allowed our home to be not only a safe haven, but a happy place uh, where we have kind of linked arms and wrestled through things together. You know, my health is the hardest thing about every area of my life, including my marriage and the Lord, even within my marriage. You know, there are things that we, you know, have to figure, had to figure out about how to navigate harder seasons with that together. And God has just been so, so gracious. So that, you know, it's an illness that a lot of people don't understand. But my wife, even when it negatively affects her, there's a level of understanding and grace. Mm-hmm. I don't have the insecurity of, is this going to be the time when they're like, I can't mess with you no more. It's too much that I do not have with her. Because it is something that a lot of people don't understand. Paint a picture of how chronic fatigue syndrome in your own life is yeah. made for very difficult days. Yeah, it is different depending on you know different people it affects them in different ways there's some people who life can look pretty normal other people who are much worse than me and just completely bedridden all the time for me you know it can vary depending on the season but I do not remember the last time I felt rested I don't feel rested my body doesn't recharge like most people's do I don't know how many good hours I'm gonna have in any given day mm. you know average day you know Maybe I have a couple good hours. It's also unpredictable. So it can make it very hard to say, oh, I'm going to do ABC tomorrow at three. I got you. 
and to be able to do that all the time, mm-hmm. right? And that can make it hard not only with tasks but also relationally, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Especially when it's hard to understand. Okay. Even to like, you know, hey, Dad, can we play basketball before mm-hmm. dinner? It's like, I would really love to. I just, if we do, I'm going to just be out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be down for kind of, I, I don't think we can do it right now. So there's that and inability to do stuff. And also, hey, I know I said I was going to, but I can't or I wasn't able to follow through that, yeah, it just can make stuff difficult. Yeah. Then in different seasons, I've had to try to navigate it yeah. in different ways. You know what's fascinating about that is it kind of comes full circle with the thing, you know, that people have always almost criticized you about, which is like, you're doing too much. Why are you going so fast? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you young. And this aspect of time, how has this challenge impacted your perspective on time? It certainly reshaped even how my ambitiousness expresses itself. And there's some ways that, you know, I've had to a few times be like, I don't know how to be me with these limitations because I'm like such a big dreamer and I'm ambitious. I cannot count on having whatever energy I have for that amount of time. And I feel like right now the Lord is teaching me to be more and more content with what I can do in this moment. Wow. And then seeing what's next and being okay with that. There's a track you do called Still Unashamed. Yeah. Which I think is especially appropriate in light of this kind of documentary coming out. Yeah. What did that mean for you? And why was that an important song to do? Yeah. Kind of at this point, maybe 10 plus 15 years from the beginning of this whole journey. Yeah. And especially in terms of what the conversation was yeah. about you and your peers at that point. So just tell us about that song. Yeah. So a couple of things. I want people to know that what I was about in 2006, when I put out If They Only Knew, that's what I'm about right now. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation. Jesus is still king. And that is what my life is about. We don't always deal with any change well. So aside from change that's negative, anything that's a little different feels like, oh, wait, wait, what is this? That's not what you were doing. You know, so it can feel, you know, not feel right to people. So I want to make sure people know. And then on the other side, there are people who do very strongly feel like y'all don't care about this stuff no more. And some of y'all are moving a little different. There are times when, like, me and Deuce, who I love, who've been doing stuff, well, who might disagree on something. And that's cool. It's, mm-hmm. If you don't disagree with people that you love, then I don't think you know them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and so just wanting to make that declaration so that people know I'm still about that. And to just say, just because stuff looks a little different to people sometimes doesn't mm-hmm. mean what's core isn't there anymore. And so I know you're a theological dude. So, like, how do you understand missiologically yeah. the value? and the importance of being still unashamed, but in a way that's different in 2006. Yeah. God did not have to use us at all to bring anybody to himself, to show anybody what he's like. You know, like when my kids ask my wife to help with dinner, and it's like she holds their hand as they like she does not need them, mm. but she lovingly includes them because mm. she loves them. You can help me do what I can do in my own strength. That's what God has done with us. But because we are human beings amongst other human beings who see what's going on, we want to be able to deliver the good news. We want to be able to show people what God is like in ways that connect with them where they are. It's like when we have a conversation with somebody, we listen to them and then 
we respond based on what we just heard. And if I'm living in the world and I see where people are at and I see what people need and I see where culture's going, I see where culture's shifting, I want to think, how can I be as faithful to Jesus as ever while also responding to what I see going on around us? I do not want people to feel like when we begin to have conversations about Jesus, we enter into such a different universe that doesn't address any of my issues, any of my concerns. I don't know what you're talking about. That has nothing to do with these issues I had last week. That's nothing to do with the argument I'm having with my wife. That has nothing to do with my kids. That what you're saying has nothing to do with that. I want to say, no, we live in the real world and Jesus has something to say to the real world. You don't go over to some abstract thing when you begin to talk about God. Jesus put on actual human flesh and walked around. And then after he resurrected, he showed up to 500 people who saw him in the actual world and he walked around. I want you to know that that Jesus is still speaking. He's using flawed people to do it. But we got to talk about him in the actual lives that we live. And if we're not paying attention, if we're never adjusting based on what we see in front of us, it's just people are not going to get the realness. That's so good. So it's like if we're going to be real about being the body of Christ yeah. in the same way that he indwelled among us yeah. and touched people, that we have to then be his hands and feet. And that means engage and touch the issues that they are dealing with, which will change over time. They, they're not the same things from 10 years ago. But one of the things that is the same and is the fact that the, I think maybe this was what part of what touched me to see you yeah. and Tadashi yeah. on the track. Because yeah, yeah, it yeah. took me all the way back 10 yeah. years before. Yeah, man. 116 yeah. compilation. Yeah. Yeah. Was there an intentional symmetry between that moment and kind of like we're the same people that we were from the very, very first time you put on the track? Absolutely. That was absolutely the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, it was going to be me, Lecrae, Show, and Tadashi on it. It just didn't all come together. And it was the last song that I did for the record. Wow. But yeah, that, that was absolutely very intentional. I want people to see that. And what has that meant for you on a relational side? Because when we started it, it was before the music, like you said, it was them pouring into you. Yeah. What has that meant now, 15 years later, yeah. on a personal level? What has being part of this group yeah. and this community been, meant for you today? Yeah, I mean, like it's helpful to roll with a squad of people who are about that same thing. And I think that's part of the power of what we've done. It's not like, oh, look at that one guy who loves God. It's like, look at this uh, group of people who love Jesus. And this is part of what I love about more people coming along. I think it's important for people to see not only is this just one person who's like me, but there are a bunch of people who love God, standing firm on who he is, because that can just give us the kind of confidence. I've seen God do it before, so I know he can do it. I've seen him do it. And not just it wasn't like one time he did it. He's done this several times, you know. If that was like the thing that my career meant the Lord used my career to show people that God can work in someone's life, no matter, you know, where they come from, what age they are. He can use them. If that was impressed on people because of what God has done through me and that was it, I'm good. It is so encouraging to hear Tripoli be honest about his own journey and how, in spite of his struggles with chronic fatigue, he continues to do the work God has called him to do. When we trust in the strength and rest of the Lord, he can empower us to get through whatever this day may bring. This is where you're from. I'm Russell Berry. And remember, it's not just about where you're at. It's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Daniel Ryan Day, Ryan Clevenger, and Jade Gustafson. 
and was engineered by Gabrielle Boward and Kevin Burgess. Also want to thank Barry and Brian for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.